struck by lightning sounds pretty frightening but you know the chances are so small stuck by bee sting nothing but a bee thing better chance you're gonna buy it at the mall but it's a 23 or 4 to 1 that you can fall in love by the end of this song so get up get up tell the bookie put a bet i'm not a damn thing will go wrong the odds are that we Hello and welcome to episode 226 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryson and Jacob. The Blue Jays sweep the Pittsburgh Pirates as we all knew they needed to do. They are a season best, 14 games above 500, and the vibes are going well just in time for a huge four-game set against the Baltimore Orioles. Bryson, Jacob, how are you guys? doing good it may not be perfect baseball that the Jays are playing right now but I think the important part is that they're finding ways to win and you were talking about how crucial it is we all know how crucial it is it continues to be crucial in terms of this wild card race and may I add this may also turn into a AL East race because of the amount of games that both I guess all the other three teams in the AL East have made up on the Yankees and uh, an incredible atmosphere obviously this weekend in Pittsburgh you love to come away with the sweep as it was perfectly predicted by yours truly yeah, the Rays are sneaking up on the Yankees, as are the Blue Jays. Uh, the Blue Jays are one game back to the Rays now, as things stand. I think the Rays are five back for the division lead. The Blue Jays are six back for the division lead. And then Seattle, as things stand now, as we understand it, there's a rain delay in Cleveland where Seattle's playing. But as things stand now, Seattle leads a wildcard race by a half game over Tampa Bay, then the Blue Jays are a game back at Tampa Bay, and then Baltimore I think is two games or two and a half back at the Blue Jays right now. So things have changed a lot since we last spoke. They're going to continue to change, of course, four games against Baltimore. But first, we have to talk about this series. Jacob, how are you? Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that two and a half games because this team, I said this last time, doesn't matter how, you need to start winning games. And now they've they gained a game over the Baltimore Orioles. Obviously, the Mariners, a little bit of a different story, but... Rays and Yankees, another AL East matchup. Like, knowing what you know now and the matchups that you have outside of your own matchup, you can control your own destiny by winning, but you know, you're know you winning now at times where other teams are starting to lose. And let's not forget the collapse of the New York Yankees. Like You need now that September is officially here. I can't remember if we recorded on September 1st or not, but now that it is officially September, or you know, now that we're in our second episode of September, Every single game counts, and we are now, you know, we're we're at closing time. If if it does make any sense that way, so you got a huge matchup after this, and it's it's only going to get more important and hopefully more stressful and more exciting going forward. Let's start with the big standout from today. That was Bo Bichette, or you know, this entire series it was Bo Bichette. He led the way offensively for the Blue Jays, and of course had some great defensive plays up the middle as well. Uh, you know, this is a guy we've been harping on all season for not showing up and not performing when it matters. This is when it matters, and now he's showing up. He had a home run that put the gave the Blue Jays some insurance runs. He scored a couple runs elsewhere in this series, and of course, I mentioned that defensive play up the middle. You look at his splits, last seven games, 26 at-bats, 10 hits, 5 RBI, 4 walks. That's good for a 385, 484, 615. 
split and you look even past 15 games it's not just his last week past two weeks he's got a 310 385 466 split and then even last 30 games not quite as good hitting 288 over that span but he's really turned things around as the season has gone on and it's going to be very important for the Blue Jays we talked last week or last time we recorded about why the Blue Jays are so inconsistent and where they need players to step up and Bo Bichette is going to be a big part of that and the fact that he is heating up and the fact that he's taken on the mantle of leading this team through this rough stretch especially as George Springer has seemingly gone cold is a big bonus to the Blue Jays so that's going to be a big part of their success in the month of September if it continues or their downfall in the month of September and October if it goes the other way and this is just a flash in the pan. So that's a big takeaway from this series. But Bryson, as you mentioned, it's not the best play from the Blue Jays. Like the pitching was phenomenal. The defense was good. The base running was kind of atrocious at times. And the offense didn't really show up against a team that has one of the worst three records in Major League Baseball. So, of course, a sweep is great. That's what you have to do against Pittsburgh, and the Blue Jays showed up when it matters, and there's obviously tons of good takeaways from this series, but there's still areas that the Blue Jays need to pick up on and improve because they're going into, again, we're going to mention this over and over and over in this episode, but a crucial four-game series against Baltimore that has a potential, maybe not to decide the season because they're still lots of games to go left against Baltimore, but to make their remaining path either very easy or very difficult. So cleaning up those things, performing against a team that is good instead of a team that is at the bottom of the standings is going to be important. But first takeaway, the biggest takeaway, I think, is Bobachet. Oh, he was absolutely fantastic. And even you want to look at the bottom of the order too. That double that he that he hit in the second game of the series that doesn't happen unless someone like Matt Chapman doesn't work the count and see nearly a dozen pitches and obviously or then Bo Bichette going and fouling off a variety of pitches and he finally gets it and he even looked I think a little bit uncomfortable in that that at, that at bat you know a lot of late fouls off fouls foul offs a lot of early pitches that he was hitting but he was battling and it's something that you know we've seen at times from everyone on the team but especially with him and coming off of last season where he hit just under 300 with about 30 home runs like this season has not been that type of season with him and the the team is still you know better than it was last time or last season even with that underperformance that they're seeing but to have him come up in a big just come in in an absolute huge situation and even in the the inning after with that that great play like I'm, I'm sure it wouldn't have decided the game or tied it or anything like that but just that momentum boost. We talk about his defense, and I, and we all remember the quote that I had about it a couple days ago. It's not been great, but he's he's turned things around. But and he's looked very very good in this series, and I think that's just it, it's a big plus considering the team is still doing well. You're still getting performances out of the guys that you've expected to, for the most part. The bottom of the order is definitely a lot better than I think a lot of people have expected to, although it has struggled at times, but. Now it's almost as if that final piece, that final big piece is starting to come around. And what better time when you now desperately, desperately, desperately need wins. And I think the biggest thing is, even if it is a bad team that you played, of course you expect to sweep. I think I said two of three, but you need to win this series. Even if it is a bad team that you just barely beat, to me, like I think it, it can look at, you can look at it as momentum. And we're talking about the rotation 
bleeding into the bullpen, not necessarily being the greatest. It was good today, especially in a bullpen day when that was all that was pitching. Looking at the at the the end of the game when Jordan Romano definitely got out of that clutch situation, that's momentum boosting right there. Bo Bichette, you know, even that that half inning after he made that play. I'm sure he felt that once he went into the field or went into the dugout or, you know, hit second base after he rounded first and saw three guys go in. Like this team, I think it's it's finally starting to realize, hey, we are performing well. We're finally getting all the performances that we need. Even though we just barely beat this team, you go into a four-game set with the Orioles, who I'll give them credit. They've been quite good this season. You know, we always talk about them being at the basement of the AL East. This is, I think this is going to be a very, very interesting series for both teams. And even now, I'm assuming, I'm not going to get necessarily into series predictions yet, but if some if somebody wins this series, you know, the AL East, the lead for the AL East could be very interesting to say the least, considering how it, you, with the Yankees definitely struggling, you know, this team, it it's looking like they're finally able to click in to some extent, to all cylinders. You know, even you look at Ross Stripling having that fantastic start, and then in the second game, again, you know, you see Trevor Richards come in, performing well. Yusei Kikuchi, not even that bad of an outing, only one earned run allowed over, I think it was three innings. Then Alec Manoa, same thing. Like, it seems as if, even though the team, the Blue Jays, just kind of barely beat the the Pirates, it's one that you can look at and say, I don't think that this necessarily was just barely beating them. This was what you what you rely on on your team beat the other team and if that can happen that can continue i think gosman's slated for the first game in the orioles series it it could just be at this point keep the momentum going keep the wins going and let's hope that you can keep this al east at least al east uh, expectations or hopes or sights alive but definitely keeping that wild card and looking to take uh, some type of lead in in the homestand of that wild card position yeah i mean pretty crazy throughout the weekend the one thing I will say though as much as there's certain highlights uh in terms of you know example Bo Bichette and other things the one lesson I think we've learned this year is to because of how inconsistent it's been is to not totally you know be set although I will say it just feels like out of these hot streaks that Bo Bichette has had this season maybe this one perhaps has been the one where he's looked the most comfortable I know a lot of people are talking about it like that but again um, I think it's just something that you need to see more of before you're completely sold because, again, that has just been an issue all year in terms of people being hot, people being cold, and then once you think it's hot, it gets cold, vice versa. So that's been one of the biggest challenges this year because of how tough it is to read. And, of course, the Bobochek can uh, maintain this. We all know how much deeper of a lineup this truly gets with him per, you know, being like this on an everyday basis. So we got to hope uh, that's the case on that one. I mean, you talked about it, Mark, in terms of what he did this series. I mean, the first game alone... Uh, when he uh, when he went uh, three for five, I believe it was for yeah with the home run, and, uh, a double, two RBIs. It was really clutch. Of course, Santiago Esmeral had a really clutch hit as well, going two for three with two RBIs. Thank goodness he's okay because that's also a guy who hasn't exactly been playing the greatest. And you hope that um, avoiding the worst case scenario with him, that he can you know get back into the lineup as soon as possible with that. And of course, the the highlight for me, as much as the home run was cool in game 1, was definitely that at bat that you were talking about Jacob in game 2. The fact that he was fouling off all those pitches and, you know, just it just you can imagine as a hitter how challenging, I guess even for a pitcher both ways, but especially if you want to talk from Bo Bichette's perspective, how 
you know, tough that could truly be in terms of stepping into the plate and pretty much, at, you know, pitch after pitch, you're fouling balls left, right, and center, and you're trying to stay focused, you're trying to put one in play without trying to do too much, and I think that's exactly what he did when he cleared the bases with that double with two outs uh, in the seventh inning. So he was definitely a highlight from this series alone, definitely one of the main reasons for game one and game two, on top of the good pitching performance that you both touched on. Um, Alec Manoa, you know, we expect this from him, and of course, 7.1 innings, uh, he was lights out, and the fact that you know when they showed him uh when John Schneider was coming to the mound about how he was basically saying you know no effing way no effing way I got these guys in terms of you're you know lip reading that that's something that you love to see uh, out of him like that who knows if he would have been able to do it but the fact that he was battling that battling out there he was sharp he was focused um that's all in all definitely what you expect out of him and he was really good so the highlight for me too from the pitching was definitely that bullpen game and you guys both of you guys know how I feel about a bullpen game however the reasoning for it this weekend made a lot of sense because what you're seeing uh, or what they have lined up for the Monday game and the doubleheader, knock on wood, hopefully there's not a lot of rain like they're talking about and hopefully the games can be can be played. But basically what they did was they lined up both Kevin Gosman and Jose Brios in the same game because usually you don't see that with the doubleheader. Usually you have a bull game, bullpen game in one of those games, but the fact of how important it is and the fact that we touched on it last episode of the possibility of a, of a rotation shakeup coming down the line was exactly why they did this this weekend, and kudos to them for it working out over pretty much one earned run over the course of nine innings. Um, everyone was pretty much phenomenal from what they appeared. You were talking about it, Jacob. Even Yusei Kikuchi was somebody who was um, pitching well, and or at least for what he did in his couple innings of work. The one thing for me, uh, I guess another highlight from that bullpen game was, and it's something that, it, you know, it wasn't, I guess, something that maybe caught everyone's eye, but I think it was definitely impactful from the moment it happened. And that is uh, when in pretty much, I think it was in the fifth or the sixth inning, uh, when the Blue Jays made a change after uh, Yusei Kikuchi came out, was the fact that they threw in Jimmy Garcia right after that. For me, it was just a surprise because of how, you know, you expect to see a guy like Jimmy Garcia pitching late in the game. But the fact is, he came in early, or they made the decision, John Schneider and the, the staff uh, made the decision early to bring him in and basically tried to bridge him with David Phelps or somebody like after that, because I believe that's who came in afterward. Or sorry, it was Adam Simber, and then um, after that was Anthony Bass. But the fact that they used Jimmy Garcia that early in the game, um, I thought... It was a very good decision. I think it's just something that, you know, was spoken about a little bit, but I think that the fact that they went with him right away to try to keep the game where it was, uh, for me, that was a really big highlight. highlight. And of course, in a bullpen game, you're going through everybody left, right, and center, so it's not always easy to kind of plan because of that scenario because usually, obviously, you know, a starter has a good quality outing and then you have guys lined up for the later innings. In this case, you had uh, Trevor Richards, kudos to him, of course, who's been really good, especially against left-handed hitters this year, which is why he was Started pretty much started that game, and then you had Yusei Kikuchi afterward, where you don't know what you're going to get out of him. Even though he allowed four four hits, he only came one with one earned run, struck out five. So it's kind of unpredictable in terms of what's going to happen before that. And then they decided to throw him in, and after that, you had Adam Simber, Anthony Bass, Tim Mays, and Jordan Romano. And Jordan Romano is another one who we talked about last episode. The fact that he came in today in the jam he did and was able to get out of it, it just truly shows how much confident he is and how confident we all are. As much as it was definitely nerve wracking. That he got out of it as well. And of course, he had a good start from Ross Stripling today in the third game as well. And then, of course, Kevin Biggio was pretty much the, I guess, one of the highlights today in the game with the solo shot in the fourth inning. So not the per- perfect or the most perfect uh, form of baseball. You know, a lot of runners left on base, a lot of uh, double plays as well. Uh, there's, that's still something that, of course, the team's going through. However, 
They're finding slim opportunities in these games to bring in some runs. And the fact that the bullpen was that good this series, and of course the starting pitching was good that series, that is also a big reason why the offense that they did provide was enough. And of course you want that to get better over the course of the next couple of days because of how crucial this series truly is against the Royals. So you're finding ways to win. That's all that matters now. But things can be a lot better, and I think um, they're on their way to be. As long as they can keep this hot streak going, as long as they can try and be consistent, I think they're on their way to kind of figuring things out. But the fact that they're winning these games right now is definitely important. Yeah. Like there's always a room to say, oh, they only scored 12 runs in a three game series against the Pittsburgh Pirates. But (laughs) a win is a win. A loss is a loss. And as long as you're adding to the right side of the column, you can't complain too much. And this series against Baltimore will be a big test. But yeah, we talked about that bullpen game. I think all of us and pretty much everyone within Blue Jays fandom was terrified of what that game might hold just because not only did it bring back flashbacks of 2018 and 2019 and even some extent 2020 when the Blue Jays were doing that all the time with guys like, geez, I don't even know. Um, who was the guy who, Edwin, not Edwin Diaz, the guy who pitched for um, like every single oh, Edwin like Jackson. 15 teams. Edwin Jackson. Yeah. That's and they also was. did it in the playoff game in 2020 with Matt Shoemaker. So yeah, anyways. Yeah. Just brings back terrible memories. But, and it, the other side of that is also that Trevor Richards, I feel like the idea of, that we have of Trevor Richards in our brain right now is that he's been a very bad pitcher because that's the idea that was set in our brains from the start of the season to June. But you look at since the time since he came off the injured list, he has a 1.80 ERA over his last 25 innings pitch dating back to July 3rd. That's phenomenal. Over that span, he's been one of, if not the best reliever in the Blue Jays' bullpen. And yes, they've gotten great performances from, you mentioned Jimmy Garcia, you mentioned Jordan Romano, Adam Simber's been a factor in there, and of course Anthony Bass being added at the deadline, and Mitch White coming into the rotation, although that hasn't been ideal. But Trevor Richards has sneaked back into the conversation as one of these guys who is a huge part of this team and could be a huge part of this team moving forward. I know we talked about it last episode because he had a 1.1 inning outing in the series against Chicago where he was perfect and struck out two but he's really kind of snuck back into that conversation of being a dominant reliever and for a team that has aspirations of going deep into the playoffs and even making the playoffs in the first place Trevor Richards is going to be a big part of that and the fact that he was able to not only just pitch well but come into a situation that he hasn't really been in for three or four years at the major league level in terms of starting a game and dominate for the Blue Jays, toss two innings, give up one hit, strike out three. Um, That's really encouraging for him to do that. And even just past that, the fact that the rotation now is kind of adaptable. We know they were rejigging things for the September stretch run so that they had their best starters available in the games that mattered the most, aka the games against Baltimore and Tampa Bay. Um, It's good to know that this rotation is adaptable and they can find success whoever they put in there to start. So that was great. And of course, the guys that came after Trevor Richards as well in that game were phenomenal. Two things I want to mention. Speaking of Trevor Richards, he has only allowed two earned runs in the last month. He he won in on the 15th of August, one on the 8th. So he, and that's not two appearances or three appearances. He's pitched quite a lot. He's done definitely his fair share. And the other thing I want to say we're talking about the rotation being a little bit uh, reworked. Talking about how, geez, we haven't seen an opener in a while, but 
if Mitch White struggles again, or you see somebody like Trevor Richards or Yusei Kikuchi perform well, even if it's in a two or three inning scenario, is this something that they do? I kind of doubt it. I'm just putting that out there. I mean, it's something you can think about. I don't think it's out of the question at all, Even especially say your pitcher gets rocked in the first inning, no matter who it is, or you know, God forbid that doesn't happen. But say something like that happens. I think, if anything, this last game or this last series in these last couple of weeks proved that the Blue Jays can, if needed, rely on it. You know, you do have quite a few guys that you can now, if you want to say delegate to the early parts of the game or the middle innings or pitch of a lot of innings if needed and but you also kind of have that exclusive group of late inning guys or specifically your closer so it, it almost seems as if the bullpen obviously got better with the additions but it's also now even just gotten better from everybody else getting a little bit better it's definitely going to be something to watch I think over the next couple of of turns through the rotation or I mean there, there's not even that many turns left in the rotation but if Mitch White does struggle or or if anybody does struggle like say Actually, I wouldn't say Ross Stripling, but say say somebody struggles that's not Manoa and Gosman. You could easily see somebody go in for two innings and then another guy go in for two innings. It could be something that we see. I still kind of doubt it. The Blue Jays are a better team than they were when they were using the opener, and they have better players, and they're in a better position in the standings. So I'm not entirely sure it'll happen, but it, it is something to look at. Now You know, you now have your good rotation, aspects of your rotation that you can 100% trust but now your bullpen sneaking up and it, it easily could say okay we need to cover a little bit more innings than we needed to we can do that and not take away from the innings that we normally would care uh, cover it's definitely something to look at even I think there's one more uh, doubleheader I think it's in Tampa Bay or at least against Tampa Bay we could definitely start to see things like this uh, and especially in the playoffs, you know, when you're needing or assuming they make the playoffs, when you're needing potentially out of nowhere two innings out of a guy or three innings out of a guy in in a non-ideal situation, it could be it could be that extra you know thing that the Blue Jays have up their sleeve, and I think it's proving that this team is a little bit deeper than we initially thought. Although it can struggle at times, but it's deeper than we initially thought given the, the fact that there is just so much talent that's finally coming together. Yeah, they're, they're, it's for sure going to happen one more time because of that doubleheader like you were saying. So other than that, I have no idea uh, if that's something that they're going to you know be interested in doing a lot. But for sure, you will be seeing something like that, of course, at least one more time, uh, which will be that series coming up. So... And, of course, tomorrow you're going to be seeing, I believe, uh, there's going to be an extra guy, obviously, added to the bullpen tomorrow. And there's a very good chance uh, Casey Lawrence is also sent down, which means you can, might see Zach Pop return like we talked about last episode. And, of course, another guy I think that's been floating around in terms of an option is Julian Merriweather, who's kind of, I guess, reworked his way back after he's basically been rehabbing for, I guess, the last month or two. He basically started from the Florida, pretty much down to Florida, and worked his way all the way back up. So... That's another name. Of course, there's going to be a lot of other options, but I think Zach Pop's a guy that you might be seeing soon uh, in terms of that coming up. But anyways, with this bullpen, um, yeah, it's just been... The fact you were talking about it uh, in terms of the earned runs that Trevor Richards has allowed, and of course with Jordan Romano, the official numbers from him since that All-Star break in 16 games, he's gotten 10 saves, an ERA of 0.98. Uh, pretty much hitters are hitting 152 against him, and he's got a whip of 0.71. The guy's been lights out. We've talked about it. And just the fact that all these guys, especially Trevor Richards, could be a key factor because, of course, majority of the year, 
they weren't operating off of that in terms of him being a top guy in the bullpen. Of course, it started like that, but of course, there was also struggles from him from that part. And then, of course, he had to go to the IL, and then he came back, and he's kind of been working his way back up from lower level, lower leverage to higher leverage. And that's crucial for just another option in that bullpen that you can probably, you know, trust a guy coming out of the bullpen in terms of that, which is, you know, Trevor Richards could be one of those guys. Jimmy Garcia will always be one of those guys. Anthony Bass was brought over here to be that guy as well. Phelps has been great. Simber's been great. You feel a lot better with this bullpen um, if a guy like Trevor Richards Richards can keep this momentum going and pretty much can make this bullpen a lot better. But this has been one of the reasons for these last couple of wins for this team because, again, with the offense you know, missing some opportunities and not capitalizing like they should be, I guess, to the fullest, uh, the runs that they've been putting up has been enough. And that's been really important and pretty much definitely deserves a, a star beside it because of how much they've been contributing. And it's something that, you know, this bullpen coming into the year, we felt fine with, but of course, as the year went on, then we kind of noticed the flaws that they did have and how much they were in need of somebody new or, you know, just more velocity out of those guys, which brought us to the trade deadline. And ever since that happened, you feel a lot more comfortable now as well with this bullpen where it currently sits. And the fact that a guy like Jordan Romano has gotten better since the start of the year, better since the All-Star break, you feel a lot, which is really good about it heading into September. So it's been, you know... One of the reasons for the uh, the wins over the past couple of games, and it really deserves full credit for that, of course. And, you know, again, the fact that they managed to get through that bullpen game because of the, you know, just the margin for error from that, Mark, you were talking about it, it could have ended up in a disaster. And there's been times this year where they've done a bullpen game where it's been uh, pretty much ended up as a disaster. And the last one I can remember that they did was in Seattle when Casey Lawrence started because of Kevin Gosman's turn through the rotation. I don't believe that went well, and I think there was one other time this year where they did it, and it also didn't go well. So this was by far the best opening game or bullpen game they've had, and it might actually be the best bullpen game they've had in a couple of years because you were talking about it. This is something that has been, you know, we've seen a few times throughout the season in pretty much 2018, 19, 20, and uh, of course last year and of course a few times this year. So the fact that this could have been the best uh, bullpen game they've had in that span, or at least up there with a couple other ones, but there's not a lot of them. Um, That's also really important that they got the job done, and it pretty much makes the strategizing a lot easier because of the way they pretty much, uh, you know, had this planned out in terms of rolling out with your two you know, pretty much two of your best starters in the rotation, or at least two of the best starters um, on that doubleheader game against Baltimore, and you're taking your chance against a team like the Pittsburgh Pirates, with all due respect, with that bullpen, it could have went a lot more south, and if it did go south, it would have been just a lot more complicated heading into tomorrow's doubleheader. So that's the the fact that they got out of there, um, pretty much in the best case, I think, pretty much allowing one run over nine innings, I think that's pretty good. And of course, you get through today's game as well with another good start from Ross Stripling. You feel really really good about your bullpen going into uh, the doubleheader tomorrow and this is something again that's going to be happening in the next home stand against the Tampa Bay Rays perhaps you feel a little bit more confident you know rolling out with a bullpen game because usually you kind of you know again you don't really feel too confident with it but the fact that they got through that this weekend you might feel a little bit more comfortable when they do this next week against the Tampa Bay Rays in that big five game series one last thing just to cap off our conversation on the bullpen since the start of August, which is kind of an arbitrary cutoff, but I use it because of the trade deadline around that time, the Blue Jays have the sixth best reliever ERA in the majors. They're behind Cleveland, Los Angeles Dodgers, Seattle, Los Angeles Angels actually are also on that list, and the Rays, um, and then the Blue Jays. And the Jays are ahead of Houston, Baltimore, uh, San Diego, San Francisco, Atlanta, St. Louis, Milwaukee, 
uh, New York, of course, New York kind of falling off the table a little bit these last few weeks. But um, yeah, just goes to show how good this bullpen has been. And, you know, it's been a quiet part of the Blue Jays' success over the last two, three, four weeks, as much as they've gone through rough, rough stretches over that period as well. Um, okay, a couple more things to touch on on this series before we move to some of our other conversations about Baltimore and the playoff stretch or playoff run down the line. Um, the first is Santiago Espinal. He gets hit with a pitch in his left hand. It looked terrible when it happened. Um, I was watching the game at a bar and a person next to me, they leaned over and said, he's making that look a lot worse than it is, right? And I said, no, his hand is broken. He's going to miss a month. Because that's what it looked like when it first happened. It looked like worst case scenario for the Blue Jays because Santiago Espinal, I don't know if, I don't know the last time I've seen someone in that much pain or appear to be in that much pain on the field. And of course, you know, there are a million different bones in the hand and you mess up one of them, it can ruin your season as we've seen with many players over the course of the last couple of years around the major leagues. So I thought it was game over in that moment, but fortunately it sounds like it's just a contusion. Sounds like it's just going to be a bruise that hopefully goes away over the next few days. And hopefully Espinal is available at least off the bench in a couple days, which I think is best case scenario for the Blue Jays. So that's the first thing I want to talk about. Second thing I want to ask you guys is Matt Chapman was moved to the leadoff spot for the final game of this series. What are your thoughts on that? Because to be honest, I kind of like it. He's been getting on base a lot, walking a lot, having good at-bats, even if his numbers over the course of the season aren't there. The Blue Jays were trying to get something done offensively. He's hitting well. To me, it doesn't read as a panic move because they're winning. So I'm all for it. I'm interested in hearing what you guys think. See, I'm not really sure. And that's not because I don't know if Matt Chapman's capable of hitting in the leadoff spot. I'm just, I don't know if I want to move George Springer unless you move him to the three spot and you know, just looking well, at today's lineup. Yeah, so, today he wasn't playing, so. Yeah, I should have I should have said that first. So Springer didn't play today. Chapman was in that spot. I'm not sure. I think, I can't remember when it was, but it was a couple months back in the season. We discussed not moving Guerrero to wherever it was. Like, we basically said he doesn't want to move and he's not going to move unless the Blue Jays absolutely have to move him. I don't know. I don't really think they're going to move him from the second spot. You know, my logical option would be put Springer back in the leadoff spot, which I think is regardless going to be the obvious answer, and then Chapman as the as the number two hitter. But I don't know, maybe... To be clear, like, this is only really a conversation when Springer isn't in the lineup. Like, it's just in the case that Springer is resting or worst-case scenario gets injured again down the line, who are you putting in the leadoff spot? And to be honest, I don't really mind Matt Chapman there. I kind of like the move. as well. That's all I'm saying. I'm interested in hearing your thoughts of choosing Chapman over someone like... I don't know, Bichette's hitting well right now. Um, I don't know who else you get. I, we've seen Tapia up there other points of this season. Oh, I thought we were having like a whole no, intricate I, discussion. I'm not saying like change the lineup. I, I'm not, I just mean in the case that Springer's not available, who do you go to? I don't mind using Chapman. Yeah, okay, well, if that if that's the case, absolutely. Well, you know, it doesn't hurt to have Chapman. But being more specific, and I'll just spend like 30 seconds on this, but I don't see the issue with moving Chapman up maybe three or four Something like that, as I see Bryson's now counting. But <laughs> I don't think it's a bad option. I think Matt Chapman deserves to hit a little bit higher. But in this case, I mean, it didn't really work out today. He was only one for five with a strikeout. But in the instance that Springer's not there, I think, you know, Chapman's one of your better hitters. It's not a bad option. 
Yeah, I was just, I'm sorry, I was really thrown off about <laughs> just the way this conversation was heading. But no, it's all good, because maybe I, th- I thought I understood Mark wrong, but uh, whatever. All good. This is only a thing, obviously, when George Springer is not in the lineup, yes. Um, listen, we, we've you talk about a Mark, I think Rymel Tapia has been a guy. You've seen Kevin Biggio lead off. There's been tons of other names. That oh, Lourdes Gurriel uh, Jr. was a guy leading off for majority of the latest IL stint for George Springer. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else, but there definitely was a few, maybe one or two others, of course, and there was Chapman today. This is something that I don't think there's a definitive leadoff hitter when George Springer isn't playing, which is why, again, they've gone through a lot of different, you know, just names and they try to, you know, uh, some other or some new things out. And I think today was pretty much trying out Matt Chapman at the leadoff spot. He has history of pretty much hitting at the top of the order when he was with the Oakland A's in the past. I think this was a pretty much part of that conversation we had earlier in the year about that whole batting order change so the fact that he has some familiarity up there uh, it doesn't hurt whatsoever I like it like you do Mark um, if that's the case when Days Springer isn't playing for some reason it just to me it's more appealing than having Lourdes Gurriel uh, Jr. leading off but again we don't know how much we're going to see that throughout the rest of the way but uh, it was definitely is something that I did support when I saw that and the fact that there's been times this year where Chapman's pretty much been up and down the lineup. I think he's pretty much hit in almost every slot except for the nine and the eighth hole that he's pretty much at seven, six, five, four. And uh, I think there was also a time this year where he might have hit second a few times earlier on in the season. But this is a guy who has been flexible with that, you know, pretty much his position in the lineup. And I think the fact that he's been playing a lot better in the second half definitely, you know, makes him feel a little bit more comfortable. Of course, he's not, you know, putting up lights out numbers, but he had that run recently or a couple weeks ago where he was really hot. And over the course of the second half in general, um, it was something that where for him, it's also worked out uh, basically compared to the first half. And for Santiago Espinal, it did look really rough when you did see that in terms of uh, pretty much his finger when he did get hit with that one. You know, it, it was, it's, it would have been tough if it was more of a long-term injury, just because of the fact that Espinal, of course, pretty much since, uh, pretty much since after the All-Star break, he hasn't exactly been playing, I guess, com- as good as we saw in the first half. And on top of that, uh, he hasn't been pretty much in the lineup as much either in terms of being in the lineup every day. I think in his last 28 days, he's pretty much been in 18 games out of those, out of that span. Which again, it's not you know, a small number, but it's also not every day. And this also kind of adds to the fact that this team got out, went out and got a guy like Whit Merrifield, of course, as much as he can be an, an option in the outfield. He's also an option in the infield and a guy like Kevin Biggio, who's been playing a lot better pretty much over the course of the last couple of months. He's a guy that's finding some playing time in, uh, here and there as well in the lineup. It's kind of a, a true platoon role, what you're seeing right now. So the fact that Espinal kind of got away with it in terms of the worst-case scenario that he might only need a couple of days, it's good news for him to stay, I guess, involved in this platoon because of pretty much at this rate, and I think Whit Merrifield pretty much said the same thing because there was a whole conversation about how he's not you know, pretty much used to this role because in Kansas City, he was pretty much considered Iron Man, pretty much playing every day. And this is something that he's had to adjust to. And basically, he's pretty much saying is that when you do get the opportunity for the playing time, you play well, force their hand. That's pretty much how you stay in the lineup right now. And we haven't seen that from any of those three that I mentioned consistently, which is pretty much why you're seeing these guys rotate in and out of the lineup every day. And that's a guy like Espinal who struggled a little bit since the All-Star break, not a whole lot in terms of being horrible. It's just something that you've noticed, of course, over the last, especially the last 14 days where just the numbers haven't been there and the fact that they're just rotating through different guys for matchups. And, of course, we know Kevin Biggio is a lefty, which gives him maybe some sort of advantage on certain days. Um, it's important that he stays in the mix for that Espinal. And I think 
the fact that he is is obviously good news for him and of course throughout the rest of the way uh, especially that second base position there's always lots of room for playing time or limited playing time for those three and of course there's lots of playing time up for grabs but it all is going to depend on who's going to be playing the best and of course Espinal we saw what he did in the first half of the season and you can you know, hopefully you're confident that he can kind of return to that form. And by doing that, of course, staying in the lineup uh, on a consistent basis is going to be one of those steps that he has to get to. Yeah, I know there's a lot of people pining for him to get more playing time right now just based on his performance compared to someone like Whit Merrifield who, like, isn't a terrible replacement for Espinal, but I think Espinal probably has been playing a little bit better. I mean, in today's game, Whit Merrifield did not have a pretty game by any means in the outfield there was a play a fly ball hit into kind of left center field that dropped between Guriel and Merrifield who was playing center at the time and Ross Stripling looked frustrated at it it looked like a play that could have been caught if Merrifield had taken a better route to the ball and we know Lourdes Guriel Jr. has his own adventures with taking good routes to balls in the outfield so I don't know like it wouldn't be the worst case scenario if Espinal was injured he's not someone that's irreplaceable to this team Whit Merrifield being a replacement who's playing every day at second base that's to be honest most teams would be very happy with that as a replacement for someone like Santiago Espinal but the more hands on deck at this point in the season the better and that's of course what the Blue Jays hope will come of this scenario even though Espinal looks like he's going to be missing a couple days which again like we said is best case scenario um Okay, so we talked a little bit about the preview for September last episode, and we know how important this series against Baltimore coming up is going to be. I want to have a little conversation about playoff odds because every single projection is completely different right now, and they run the gambit from practically 95% to 50%. So I want to debrief on each of these different projection systems Talk about how they project the standings and how they project the playoffs and which one we agree with the most. So I'm going to throw a lot of math at you, but I find this stuff really interesting because I don't think we talk about it a lot. I think we kind of take these numbers as granted and for granted and just kind of pick and choose which projection system we prefer. But I'm going to go one by one, fan graphs, baseball reference, and 538 and look at how they're chosen how the numbers are picked where they come from and of course where the Blue Jays rank in that so let's start with fan graphs they're the most opposite optimistic they have the Jays playoff odds at 94.7 percent this isn't updated today for the game today of course against Pittsburgh and the series sweep but they're at 94.7 they have the Orioles at a 7.9 percent chance to make the playoffs the Blue Jays according to this have a better better odds than the Rays to make the playoffs by about two percent So what Fangraphs does for their playoffs, they project out what the final games of the season will look like. And this is important. They project. They don't look at previous games. They look at future games and project what they're going to look like. And they um, simulate the remaining season 20,000 times and then take the percentages from there. So for example, if a team has a 90% chance to make the playoffs, it means that in 18,000 out of the 20,000 simulated seasons, they made it to the playoffs. So again, fan graphs projecting out. Jays are at practically 95%. Okay, next on the list is 538 because they're in the middle of the pact in terms of optimism for the Jays. They have the Jays at 83% chance to make the playoffs and they estimate they're going to end with an 89-73 record. 
What 538 does, it's a little bit different than baseball reference, a little bit different than fan graphs, but what they do is that they project the season out, but the simulated games account for two things. They account for projected starting pitching matchups, so that is basically defaulting to whoever would be the most rested pitcher on that day. So they use projected starting pitching matchups. And then what they also do is that they run the stipulations, quote, hot. So basically it means that a team's estimated talent doesn't remain static. So it means they project one game, and then if they win that game, they're running a little bit hot, and then they project the next game. So that's what 538 does, and they have the Blue Jays and 83% odds to make the playoffs. And then baseball reference is a far cry from these uh, the previous two estimations. Baseball reference has the Blue Jays at a 58.8% chance of making the playoffs. Um, it's still a little bit above Baltimore. Baltimore is at 51.9%. But even just looking at Baltimore across these three projection services, Fangraphs has them at a 7.9%. Baseball reference has them at 51.9%. Just totally different world. So what baseball reference does is it doesn't project anything. It looks at a team's performance over the last 100 regular season games and uses that to determine how good a team is and what their odds of making the playoffs are. So three dramatically different projection services, three dramatically different numbers, but bottom line, the three numbers you need to know is Fangraphs 95%, and Baseball Reference 59%. So out of those three numbers, what do you agree with most What do you think is the most likely scenario for the Blue Jay and the most realistic estimation of their odds to make the playoffs? Keeping in mind what we talked about earlier about the current wildcard standings and, of course, the race that's going on in the AL East as well. See, the first one you said, I know I'm going to make some people angry, but I think 95% right now is a little too high. Here's the thing. I don't don't want that to be wrong, but saying 95% with like 35 games, whatever it is, left, a lot can change. And I think... That could ease. It could go up. It could go down. But even if they lose tomorrow, like you, I'm, you know what I mean. Like when when we're down the final stretch, they, a team loses one game, and it's like, oh no, their their odds to make the playoffs just went down fifteen percent. It's like, well, yeah, because they just played fifteen percent of their remaining games. But I think the five thirty eight is is probably the most likely. See, the thing is, is, I'm right now. If you were to say to me right now, today, what I think the odds of them making the playoffs are, I would say seventy five percent. Uh, and that's not because I think that's low. I think that's the most realistic thing. I don't think it's a guarantee. I hope it's a guarantee, but I think realistically they're going to make it. But it's it's one of those situations where it's not necessarily they're not going to or they are. It's They're most likely going to make it. And another thing I liked about that 538, the way they projected things and the way they calculated things is considering momentum. Because you know I said this a couple minutes ago or you know, earlier in the episode even though the Blue Jays just barely beat the top, the Pirates, you have to imagine that Trevor Richards having a good outing, Yusei Kikuchi having a good good outing, Kevin Biggio with a home run, Matt Chapman, you even saw George Springer coming, patting him on the back after that, after he went and scored. You have to imagine things like this are going to make the team more likely, at least internally, to play better tomorrow and then the next day and the next day. So I think that's that's probably the most realistic scenario, something like that, where you project the just the raw power of the team head to head matchups but you also have to consider things like how good has the team been because you know, I've seen this a lot I think Buck Martinez said it when the Blue Jays and this was in a random broadcast I don't remember the exact date but 
basically everyone that I've heard on Sportsnet and everywhere is that Blue Jays, if they get hot at the right time, they gain momentum. They could easily beat any team in baseball. And it's to me that I think that is what matters the most right now is you have your last little bit of games. You get that momentum going. You take three or four from the Orioles easily, easily, easily could give you the, the momentum to take, you know, the, the next little bit. And I think even last season, the the biggest reason why the Blue Jays were back in the playoff race, you remember, I think it was a seven or eight game win streak where they swept the Yankees. And then before that, like just before the trade, before the trade deadline, before they came home, they were completely out of it. Like we were happy to see them home, but it was like, yeah, okay, next year they'll be better. Then they won nine of 11 or whatever that homestand was won a ton of games at the end of August, early into September, and were really good the entire month. And I think part of that has to do with the momentum. And it's, I think that is the, the key factor here is how good, how hot can a team get and how, how much can that imp- improve their own confidence in their ability to beat them? And, you know, after the, the Orioles, just quickly, they're against the Rangers. You take three or four or four or four from the Orioles, no disrespect to the Texas Rangers, I have a feeling that easily after that you you can take the momentum and 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 take another big series. So, long story short, I don't think that it's not necessary that or that it isn't necessarily just head-to-head matchups. You have to consider how good the team is currently, because that to me I think that impacts the the current and immediate future a lot more than just raw current record. Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting, especially the baseball reference one, of course. Uh, the 538 one is, of course, pretty much the middle, I guess, the middle ground between the two in terms of fan graphs and baseball reference. So it is pretty interesting to see, I guess, how different the number is and also how different they do uh, the projections because you were talking about how they kind of baseball reference reverts more to the previous matchups. And then you basically said, from what I understand, fan graphs looks to the, f- uh, I guess, projections in the f- uh, the rest of the games, but they also do it almost 20,000 times. I believe that's what you said. So. They do it a lot of times. It obviously builds up um, a lot of sample size for them, I guess, for them and to be confident. Just to, just to comment on the sample size, well, Fangraphs runs it 20,000 times. Baseball yeah. runs it. Baseball reference only runs it 1,000 times. So exactly you know, 20 times difference there. It's huge. And basically, it really is huge. So, And I assume 538 does more than baseball reference anyway. Again, it's more of the middle ground between the three. So they build up a sample size for that. For me, I usually always revert to fan graphs for these projections. I just, I'm not usually, a, I'm never usually a fan of the baseball reference ones. The 538 ones I look at a little bit, but to me, the 90, as much as that's a crazy or a really high number, 95%, I, I like that one uh, compared to the other two. I think that one's the most reasonable one. Listen, you have three spots that are up for grabs um, between three, te- pretty much four teams. And of course, you can maybe include a central team, but there is no spot that in terms of, in terms of a team that's running away with it, the Jays are basically a game and a half back of that top spot, and they also have the chance to finish second, third, and something that we reverted to at the beginning of the episode, the AL East isn't exactly a wrap just yet either. So there's another playoff spot there, and of course that's another spot in general that mixes in another team like the Yankees, but all these teams have in common is how close together they are. Of course it can go either way. You know, the one thing that's very obvious from these projections is that and the fact that they're doing it 20,000 times is that the Jays, obviously, based on those projections from fan graphs, 
I assume the outcome against, you know, the remaining games against the Orioles and the Rays, because those are pretty much the top two teams that they play the rest of the year, you assume that those matchup results are favorable uh, in the Jays' way, which, of course, is really good, but, of course, we have to obviously see that to really believe it. But the fact, you know, the projections there, most of it kind of support where the Jays are coming from on that one. Um, I like that. I like that um, that's the case. And, of course, they're going to have lots of opportunities to move up. Like I said, they play the Rays multiple times. They play the Orioles. And that is going to be one of the deciding factors, especially with the Orioles, what I mentioned last time, is that that those that series alone, or those series pretty much the rest of the way, will basically decide the Orioles' fate as well as probably the Jays' fate. And you have another series against the Yankees too. So the fact that you have these opportunities to climb up, because of the amount of times that you play these teams, I think that's also a reason for the high percentage because it's not like it's one of those things, and this was pretty much what happened last year, where it wasn't in your hands, you were relying on help, and the fact is that this is all in front of the Jays right now. This They have the potential to really put themselves in a better position on their own, in terms of their own fate, besides the Mariners, because they've already played the Mariners. But they have the chance to do that on the Rays, the Orioles, the Yankees. And, of course, they have the opportunity to do that against, you know, some favorable matchups as well the rest of the way, like we've seen most recently with the Pittsburgh Pirates. I like the way that is. This was something that was pretty much hyped up at the beginning of the year with this team. You know, not exactly the greatest, I guess, expectations or pretty much the expectations that we imagined at this point of the season. But the fact of the matter is, as much as they're not, you know, that AL East runaway team like a lot of people were talking about, the playoffs is still very much in reach, of course, and the Jays are in a playoff spot by two and a half games. And the fact I think that they have a really good opportunity at this pace the rest of the way, even though they're not playing their best baseball to get in the playoffs, it's definitely a good chance. And if they can catch fire like we've been talking about, if they can pretty much be consistent that we're still waiting for, but of course there's still a chance it can happen, you got to feel even more confident about where they sit the rest of the way. And the fact is, too, not only about the 95%, I just, for me, I like the way Fangraphs does it as well compared to the other two sites like we were talking about at the beginning, Mark. So that has something to do with it. And I think that the 95%, again, of of course, of how high it is, I do think it's something that makes sense because of the, the things I mentioned. So that's why I do think I probably support the Fangraphs prediction the most. Yeah, if you had asked me without telling me the numbers, which one of these projection systems I would buy more into, my answer would be Fangraphs because that's the site that normally has the best baseball projections out there. But just looking at the numbers, like to me, it doesn't pass the eye test. And I don't know if that's, you know, me not listening to the numbers and I should just ignore the eye test and ignore what my gut is telling me and buy into the numbers. I don't know, but it doesn't pass the eye test. Like you're telling me that there is a only a 5% chance of the Orioles winning three more games over the next 30 games than the Blue Jays. Like, that's what the difference is. It's three games. And these teams have 10 games against each other. So that doesn't pass the eye test for me. So that's why I don't agree with Fangraphs. But again, if you were to ask me outside of this scenario, I would choose Fangraphs. The number I agree with most is 538. Not because I like their projections. The fuck do you want, bro? But just because the number makes more sense. To take, you know, the approach that you were taking, Jacob, just pulling a number. Like, if I was to just choose a number... I would probably choose about 80% chance like, so, that the Blue Jays make the playoffs. Like, and like, fan so like graphs Scoob, is 95, baseball reference is way lower. This. 538 is right around what I would project. So that's the one I agree with most, not because of the way they project it, but because of the number they end up with. What I do find very interesting in all of this is that fan graphs projects the Blue Jays for 89 wins. 
538 projects the Blue Jays for 89 wins. Baseball reference projects the Blue Jays for 88 wins. So we're not talking about an actual difference in what the Blue Jays are doing because all these projection systems basically have them at the exact same spot, give or take one game. It's just the teams around them. That's what it depends on. I'm willing to bet, don't have the numbers in front of me, but that Baltimore is a difference. Tampa Bay is a difference in terms of projected wins and losses in that scenario. So I find that really interesting. Um, And just to end this conversation off, if you're not a baseball fan and you're listening to us ramble on for 10, 20 minutes about the subtleties of three different projection services, I mean, this is what it means to be a baseball fan. It's so much fun to talk about these things. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, it's only going a little bit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're talking about three different projection systems simulating 20,000 times the outcome of 30 games that we're going to know the outcome of in a month's time. So, yeah, we are going a little bit insane talking about the Blue Jays. But the next series, we've been leading up to it the entire episode – Four games against Baltimore, it is going to be huge for the Blue Jays in addition to the remaining series outside of this that they have against the Orioles and they have against the Rays and they have against the Yankees, as you mentioned, Bryson. Um, Okay, the starters for this series. Game one, tomorrow, doubleheader. Game one of the doubleheader is going to be Gosman versus Jordan Lyles. Lyles has a 4.25 ERA. Game two of the doubleheader is going to be Jose Brios versus TBD. The Orioles have yet to announce their starter for that game. Probably going to end up calling him, calling them up as the 28th man or 29th man on the roster. Tuesday is going to be Mitch White versus Kyle Bradish. Bradish has a 5.17 ERA. Wednesday, the conclusion of the series is going to be the game we're all going to want to watch. It is Alec Manoa versus Dean Kramer, who has a 3.22 ERA. So that gives you a general idea of what to expect from this series. We know the stakes are sky high. What do you project happening in this series? See, here's where it gets interesting: is the doubleheader? I think throws thing off, th- things off a little bit because depending on who get wins game one and how they win game one, you could easily be up two games to nothing after the first day of the series. So I don't know. I have a feeling, just considering the Orioles do not have a starter named for that second game in the in the doubleheader might hurt them a little bit considering the Blue Jays do have two guys back to back just hitting them like the one two Mayweather. So <laughs> I would I would predict a I'm going to go 3 or 4. I think if uh, realistically I think they're going to win one of that doubleheader, maybe lose one, but if they win the other one, I don't know if a sweep is likely, but I think you're you're for sure taking one of those doubleheaders and then do you take the rest of the series or at least the rest of the days is the biggest question. This is tough, and um, according to the ML- according to MLB.com, there is a starter for Game Two. Uh, it's Mike Bowman, I believe. He's made seven starts this year, or seven appearances, a four fifty ERA. So somebody's pretty much like you were saying, Mark, but he's been up and down. Um, but yeah, I mean, you definitely feel more comfortable though because of the starters, because of the way they've fixed this rotation that you're sending out two of your guys in the doubleheader compared to a bullpen game. You like what you see out of that, Mitch White. We've talked about it. How much longer can this really, I guess, can he sustain this pretty much stretch of bad luck? And, of course, with Wednesday, you like your chances with Alec Manoa, too. The problem hasn't been that. There's been a lot of things that haven't been going their way offensively. Um, There's been just, it's been, it hasn't been perfect like we pretty much talked about this episode. So, 
you need the starters to be good. Of course, another key factor about the offense right now is you need the bullpen to be good as well. We know the Orioles also have a good bullpen. I'm torn on this. I'm usually the most optimistic one. I'm going to say they split this series. I, I think that's a safe pick for a four-game doubleheader. I can easily see it going the way that you predicted, Jacob, and I hope to. I pretty. I, I really hope I'm wrong. I really hope it's three to four at least. But for me, to be safe in a four-game series, which includes a doubleheader, those are always tough to win no matter who you're playing. I'll say they split uh, the series. Winning three of four would be huge because you gain two games if you win three of four. You go from having a two-and-a-half game lead in the wild card race to having a four and a half game lead in the wild card race. And that's a lot of buffer room as we get down to, you know, the 25 game mark, the 20 game mark, the 15 game mark. Having a four and a half game lead is a lot more substantial than a two and a half game lead. So that would be huge for the Blue Jays, but ultimately I don't see it happening. I think these two teams are going to keep the fun going and they're going to split it and not change anything in the standings and keep the action exciting and thrilling and on the edge of our seat until the end of this season. So I'm going to go split as well. And I mean, I hope to be wrong. You always hope to be wrong when you project the Blue Jays to lose. But regardless, we're looking forward to it. And we got the day off with the holiday tomorrow. So we'll be able to watch Blue Jays baseball all day from 1 p.m. to whenever game two ends, probably around 7 or 8 p.m. in the evening. So it's going to be a fun day for sure. Important baseball on the TV. You could wish for nothing more in the month of September and, of course, hopefully deep into the month of October. We will end our episode there. As always, you can support us by going to patreon.com slash section138pod. You'll find tons of member benefits, whether it's joining our Discord and chatting with us about Blue Jays baseball or you know, having access to all our bloopers that we make on the episode. So I encourage you to check that out. You can also support us by following us on social media. That's at Section138Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can leave a rating and review for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you find podcasts. And you can go follow our, or subscribe to our YouTube, um, which just helps, you know, up our count a little bit. Um, okay. <laughs> Four games against Baltimore. We're looking forward to it. It's going to be so, so much fun. And of course, kicking it all off with the doubleheader tomorrow or today as you're listening to this. We'll catch you after the all-important series in Baltimore.